Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you very much. Thanks, Vim. I'll, I'll need that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. This is just for recording. Yeah. Thank you so much. Praise God. It's always such a privilege to um, share with you the gospel. Amen. Father, we thank you for the word of your power and the power of your word. We thank you for this wonderful congregation. We thank you for these precious people. We thank you for what you want to do in our hearts and in our lives in this season. And the privilege, the privilege of preaching your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it's exciting just hearing uh, Pastor Vim talking about Ignite here. To think that we had three Ignites taking place on Friday night at the same time. We had you guys praying here in Johannesburg. We were praying in Centurion and the Pretoria East guys, the Pretoria East Church was praying that side and collectively it's extremely powerful, you know. Uh, we had an amazing thing taking place. It's amazing how when you plant another church, God raises up a whole crop of people that side, amen. Because it's like you're sowing people and in many ways we've sown our best you know, if you think about it. And um, we had amazing healings that took place on Friday nights, like notable ones. You know, God just moved that way. There's a particular lady, an older lady, and she's been struggling with diabetes and hypertension, uh, and it's affected her eyesight, okay? She literally, she was the first to come up for prayer, and she basically said, I'm struggling seeing. And she was like looking at Kathy Band, and she said, she's all hazy. It's as if my eyelashes are in the way. I, ca I can't see. I'm struggling seeing. And she was scheduled to have an operation on Tuesday. And we prayed for her. And immediately she was just like, I see. I see. I see. Like you could see the shock within her. It's hard to explain unless you have a video where you can actually see what was taking place. And she's believing that when she goes for the op on Tuesday, the doctors are going to be shocked you know in terms of what happens but there, there are those moments where there's a very strong healing anointing and things happen and i just want to encourage you let's believe god amen let's keep believing god um we were praying uh, you guys were praying for cd just in terms of what she is what she was facing she was rushed in to hospital a couple of days ago and so on to do with her heart and uh, she's in a better space now but let's continue standing with her I was surprised when I heard about it. I'd never heard about heart stuff with, you know, CD. I mean, look how young she is, you know. She's a young mother, a young wife, you know, <laughs> to Kotso. Let's believe God. There was a time a number of years ago, someone came. Uh, it was in, in one of the churches we were pastoring. It was Sumbaya's mom. Some of you remember Sumbaya. It was Sumbaya's mom. And she was scheduled to have, I don't know if it was a triple bypass. Is there a double bypass? Was it just triple? All right. She was scheduled to have that op that week, you know, coming up. And um, we prayed for her, the whole congregation. And what happened was um, the testimony came back where the doctors basically said, you didn't need to have an op anymore, okay? And they went through a whole process of thinking, maybe the diagnosis that had been made 17 years ago was wrong. You know, that's, that's how they were thinking. They're thinking, maybe I didn't have heart issues all this time. And I remember Sue coming to me and saying, you know what, I think that was our unbelief. My mom was actually healed and she didn't have to have the op, you know. So we've seen God move very powerfully and let's continue believing him 
for great miracles in this place. So last week I was dealing with the whole issue of proclaiming Christ. You remember? We spoke about proclaiming Christ and I shared with you six shifts, six shifts that we have to go through. And why are we talking about the shifts we have to go through in order to proclaim Christ? If you just go from here and you begin to proclaim Christ, but you haven't been through some of these shifts, there won't be any weight in what you say. So how do we proclaim Christ in a way that is weighty, in a way that has authority, all right? And these are the shifts we have to go through. And so last week I spoke about a shift in citizenship. And remember, I used Nyaradzo as an example. This is the Nyaradzo I was talking about. When I, when I spoke about how they got their citizenship, and then she was still trying to get certain jobs, and they would say, no, 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 you have to be a citizen uh, before 94. Remember, I was sharing that with you. That's the Nyaradzo I was talking about. Um, great person, uh, studied law, and is now working for a great law firm. And it's amazing how she's here today. I was speaking to her and I said, I will send you the message where I used you as an example. You know, everyone always wants to hear their name mentioned. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. So we spoke about a shift in citizenship. We spoke about a shift in assignment. We spoke about a shift in association. We spoke about a shift in what you confront. We spoke about a shift in what you do or how you respond to situations. And then we spoke about a power shift. And I know at Ignite, you guys prayed through these. So I want to give you the next six. Are you happy to hear the next six in terms of shifts? The next one, number seven, there's a shift in your love for the word. When you're someone who's used by God to proclaim Christ, there's a shift in your love for the word. We see in Acts chapter 17, verses 11 to 12, the Bereans. It says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why were they of more noble character? It says, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So they're being described as people of noble character. Why? Because they were eager about the word and they were examining the scriptures. So your character is seen not just in your morality, but in your eagerness concerning the word. Can you see that? In the degree to which you examine scriptures for yourself. So for example, people of character, after they've heard a message like this, they go home and they look at the scriptures. They unpack them for themselves. They talk about them to each other. Just like in the Old Testament, it says, speak the scriptures to your children. Make sure that they're written on their hearts. That's an element of Christian character, all right? They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. It wasn't from a place of being skeptical. It was a, from a place of being eager concerning God's word. Remember when Paul was explaining these things, he wasn't taking out a Bible. They didn't have a New Testament at the time. He was basically explaining it from his heart as he understood it. So these guys were saying, okay, you're quoting this from Leviticus. You're quoting this from Numbers. We want to go and check it out for, for ourselves. And that's when they went to the scriptures and examined themselves. So receiving the word eagerly and examining the scriptures are a sign of noble character. What's your relationship with the word today? The word is so powerful that it touches a diverse group simultaneously. Why do I say this? 
Because it shows us here that in the book of Acts, remember this was a wide group of people that he had been preaching to, and it says that the Berean Jews were of more noble character. So the Berean Jews in particular went and examined the scriptures. But remember, he was speaking to a diverse group of people. The word that is proclaimed from this place, the word that you proclaim as you go out from here, needs to touch a diverse group of people. They say that when you preach the gospel, be like Billy Graham. Billy Graham, when he preached the gospel, would literally preach it so that a 14-year-old could understand it. Isn't that powerful? A 14-year-old could understand it. The sophisticated can understand it. The intellectuals can understand it, right? Let's reach people with this word. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. My question to you this morning is, are you using the word for all these things? Are you using the word for teaching? Because the Bible says it's profitable for teaching. So in other words, when I want to do a corporate talk, I might not necessarily say, quoting John chapter 3, 16. You know, have a look in Isaiah chapter 50. I might not specifically say that, but am I using the word because it's profitable for teaching? When we teach our households, are we using the word? So it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. This is an interesting word, reproof. But that's basically to do with rebuking people, right? That's what the word reproof means. It's ad to admonish someone, to correct someone. Are we using the word? You see, I don't want to come to you and correct you based on my personality. I don't want you to ever think I'm saying to you, you must talk to people in the following way because that's what I do. I want you to know that it's coming from the word of God. Amen. Right? It's important, especially because we are different people. And as this church grows, there'll be many different sorts of people coming. And we want to be in a place where we're using the word to admonish. Not our personalities, not our preferences. Okay? I know you must dress like this because this is a good style. No. You must dress like this because this is modest based on the word of God, not based on preferences. Amen. Are we using the word? It says for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I mean, if you know that, to, for us to walk as disciples, we have to be trained. We have to be trained. What is training, and how is it different for, from teaching? Because they use the word teaching, that is profitable for teaching, but they also use, he also uses the word training. What's the difference between teaching and training? Teaching is the passing on of knowledge, okay? Teaching is where you take knowledge, the knowledge you have, and you pass it on to people. Now, good teachers are able to break it down so that people understand, all right? That's what a good teacher does. They can take complex things, complex mysteries, right? And they make them simple and easy for people to understand. But what is training? Training is show me how. How many of you here are how-to people? You know, there are a lot of people who are how-to people. Paul, show me how. Show me on Monday, how should I do it? I'm a practical person. I'm pragmatic, and I want to know how. So God has called us not just to be good teachers, but also be good trainers, and that's very important, okay? So are you using the word for all these things? The word should be our basis for rebuking people. 
All right. In Hebrews chapter four, verse two, it says, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Again, again, it's not just about saying, I love the word. I'm a Bible person. It's about taking that word and mixing it with faith. This is crucial. Because if you don't mix it with faith, it will have no effect over you. Simple as that. And that's why sometimes you can listen to one person preach a message and you can listen to another person say exactly the same thing. And you're like, but why was it so powerful when this other person spoke? It was mixed with faith. If you want to truly proclaim the gospel, the word must be mixed with faith. It says here that it was of no value to them. That same word that we heard was of no value to them because it wasn't mixed with faith. There's something we have to do when we listen to the word, when we hear the word, where we mix it with faith, where we say, I'm going to take the word at face value. Some time ago, Kenneth Hagin, he spoke up when he was still alive about how he had a season in his life where he said, you know what, I'm not going to read the word unless I read it in faith, unless I truly believe what I'm reading. And literally for a number of days, he had to stop reading the word because he was in a place where he was like, do I really believe what it says? God has called us to read the word from a place of faith, where we mix it with faith. One of the things my wife likes to do very often is to say to people, you might have heard her say this, where she'll give you a word, and it might be a passage of scripture, and the prophetic word she might have might be, you know what, I believe in this season, Psalm 139 is for you. And you can literally get from it as much as you can. And then what you do is you go, and you literally read Psalm 139 knowing it's a now word for me. It's a now word for me. And I'm mixing it with faith. And it's amazing as you go deeper and deeper into that, how much you get out of the word. The word of God is alive and it's active. And you can tell when someone is so filled with the word of God. So filled with God's word. I don't want to just know God's word superficially. I want to be filled with his word. Amen? I think it's so powerful. So my question to you is, are you combining the word with faith? Another question I have for you, is the word of value to you? Because the Bible here says it was of no value to them. There are a lot of people who've come from strong theological backgrounds, but the word was not mixed with faith, so it was not valuable to them. Okay? And my third question to you is, how much are you getting out of the word? these great and precious promises that we have, how much are you getting out of the word? You know, for every message, you can use this pattern where the first thing you do is to do with the head. Ask yourself, what does it mean? So even a message like this, just go home and say to yourself, what does it mean? That's head. And then heart, what is God saying to me now? And you'll be saying different things to us, won't he? Different things will jump out for different people. Right? So there's head, what does it mean at an intellectual level? Then there's heart, what is God saying to me now? I'm shocked by the number of people after I've preached a message. Sometimes a couple of weeks later, they'll say, yeah, because I remember when you preached about such and such. And I almost feel like this person is misquoting me. I don't remember actually saying that. I didn't say it like that. But that's what they heard. And sometimes that's what the Holy Spirit does. Right? And you think that's what the preacher said, but no, God by his spirit took your words and what did he do? He remixed it for that person. 
Yeah, I remember when you said we must do this and this. I'm thinking, eh, dude, I don't remember saying that. But if it's what the Holy Spirit said, then that's cool, right? And then the third one is hands. What can I start doing differently in response? And those of you who are small group leaders or you share these things with people, give them this as a guideline. Head, what does it mean? Heart, what's God saying to me now? And then hands, what can I start doing differently in response to the word that I heard? Amen. All right. So let's do that. Proclaiming the word and mixing it with faith and eagerness is super duper powerful. So that is the seventh shift. The eighth shift, there's a shift in perseverance. There's a shift in perseverance. When I think of perseverance, I think of an interesting word in scripture. It's the word long-suffering. And some time back, some of you might have heard me preach on this thing, long-suffering. And I shared with you the Greek word, and it's makrothumos in scripture. That's long-suffering. It's the word we translate patience, just being patient. Patient, but long-suffering, makrothumos. Makro actually means distant or far. And thumos talks about passion and suffering, right? Trials, tribulations. So it's basically being able to experience suffering for a long time, right? You're persevering. People who run marathons, people who are into ultras. How many of you are into ultras here? Okay. <laughs> All right. Yes, yes, yes. Just want people to feel included and so on, right? Ultras. I don't know why people do that to themselves. I didn't say white people. I said why people do that to themselves. I know a guy called Rantle. I actually know a guy called Rantle. In about 2012 or so, he did his first, uh, I think it was his first 10K, right? And he goes and he does it. And then he didn't know what an ultra was. And then he did, do you remember there was the city to city run from Centurion to Wondrous, okay? And he just basically went and did it. He's one of those all or nothing people. I think he fell sick afterwards. Then he was told, and this was, in about, this was about a year later, hey? He just did, or, or a number of months later. Then he was told, oh, you qualify for comrades now and so on. It's like, oh, okay. And then he started doing comrades and the rest is history, okay? And his name is Rantle. Interesting guy that I coach. Right? But, but what is makrothumos? It's long-suffering. People who do the comrades, they suffer for a long time and they're able to do so. Okay? My wife today is preaching on a biblical view of sport and media and art. And one of the things about sport, it helps you to suffer for a long time. It gives you that discipline to just keep pushing through. And then you translate that to other areas of your life. But today what I've seen is a lot of people don't have backbone. If we want to be people who proclaim Christ, to proclaim Christ in this city, we need perseverance. To plant a church in Joburg, we need perseverance. There are a lot of people, they go for three months, they don't see people coming, and what happens? They literally give up. But if you've got that experience, what do you know? You know when it comes to planting churches, you'll find that there's a spiritual test that God gives you. Are you going to prepare hard? Are you going to lead worship hard? Are you going to usher hard? Even if there's just a handful of people coming. And then what happens? God sees that you've been faithful with small and then he entrusts you with more. A lot of spiritual progress when it comes to evangelism and outreaches is to do with stewardship. Amen. And I see here a powerful principle when you see Paul and how he dealt with outreach. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16 to 17. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. 
What, what, what is distressing you today? Are you distressed by the idolatry in Johannesburg? He was distressed by it. Now, he could have given up. He could have been like, ah, oh, these people are so ungodly. I'm not interested. But what did it cause him to do? His distress caused him to act. Great leaders have a bias toward action. That's to do with perseverance. Let me just say something. Perseverance is linked to resilience. And you know what resilience is? It's the ability to cope in the face of difficulties and emerge from adversity stronger and more resourceful. That's resilience. A simple way of looking at it is resilience is the ability to bounce back. So he was distressed by the idolatry he saw, but it caused him to be focused on what he was called to do and to become even better. As opposed to, oh, this is terrible. Oh, my boss is terrible. Oh, the people I work with, oh, they're all terrible. Woe is me. Remember Elijah when he thought, ah, I'm just by myself and he had to be encouraged, right? That there are others that are still for God, right? When you're a resilient person, you continue to experience joy in tough times. The troubles that you face in life don't rob you of your joy. Amen. So Paul here experienced this shift in perseverance. I want to encourage us, let's persevere. Let's push through. And specifically here, it was when it came to preaching the gospel. One of the things that's potentially discouraging, for those of you who are quite evangelistic, if you go into a community and you preach the gospel and no one responds, you give out lots of flyers, no one comes. Amen. It can be discouraging, but don't be discouraged. Watch what happens. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, how often? Day by day with those who happened to be there. This is a very powerful revelation here. There's no word in scripture that's wasted. It says he reasoned with who? Those who happened to be there. You know what's going to happen? There'll be people who you think they just happen to be there, but they're actually people God has sent. It happens when you're in God's will, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. So if I am moving where God is, because my steps are ordered by him, and I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit, guess what? I will meet people who happen to be there, but God has actually sent those people across my path so that they can hear the gospel. Amen? And then my preaching will be powerful. Then when I proclaim Christ, it will be powerful because it will be the people who are ready to hear the gospel. Amen? In Athens, Paul is distressed by the idols that he sees. My question is, what distresses you? And does your sense of distress move you to act. He's reasoning with those who happen to be there. Are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit that there are certain people who just happen to be there in your life? Maybe it's when you're in a hair salon. They happen to be there. Maybe it's your hairdresser. And maybe you are having weaves done or fancy things done to your hair. That hairdresser can't run away. They know that you're going to pay. I don't know, when you go to the barber, is it, do you pay before or afterwards? After, hey? When you see that they've done a good job, right? They want, to, they want you to betal, right? They want that cash. Are you willing to speak 
to them. Right? They happen to be there. When you're in God's will, there will be those who happen to be there but are really sent by God. I want to encourage you to have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. What's the difference? You know, very often a lot of people have fixed mindsets about themselves. So what, you, what happens is you say to someone, hey, do you want to start learning how to play the guitar? And the person is like, yes, 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 I want to learn the guitar. And then they start. And then what happens? They come across a roadblock or an obstacle and they give up. And their mindset is, I'm not cut out for this. I'm not into this music thing. Who am I fooling? That's a fixed mindset about yourself. And then you give up. But when you have macro thumos, right, you push through. It's long-distance suffering. You push through despite the, despite the obstacles. And you move to a place of a growth mindset. And a growth mindset is to say, if I keep plugging away and I keep doing this thing and I keep learning even when I'm facing obstacles, even when I'm preaching to these people, if I find different ways to minister to them, more creative ways to get through to these people. Sometimes it happens when you're ministering to kids like Sunera and the others, right? What happens? You need a growth mindset for that, don't you? In preaching the gospel. Maybe it's your father, maybe it's your mother, maybe it's your cousin. Try different methods to proclaim Christ to them. And it's amazing what takes place. I remember when my wife was learning, the, learning how to play the cello. Within a few years, she got to grade six cello. But how did she get there? Makrotumos, perseverance. I remember there were times she'd come home and she'd say to me, you know what? I'm going to start recording the lessons that I'm having with Paulina. There's a Russian lady in Pretoria who was taking her for lessons, one of the best cellists on the continent. And my wife came home and she said, you know what, I'm taking my iPhone to my lessons and I'm going to literally record those lessons. And I said, my presh, you're an incremental theorist. It's another term for someone with a growth mindset. Okay, you're thinking incrementally because when you're facing obstacles, what are you doing? You're coming up with strategies. You're saying, I'm going to multiply those lessons. And when I'm by myself practicing, I'm hearing Paulina's voice coming through, coming through, coming through. It's a growth mindset. And if you study the science of success, you will see that successful people have a growth mindset. Look how creative Paul was. In Acts 17, verse 24 to 31, remember this is a place where there are lots of idols. He doesn't give up or feel sorry for himself. He says this to them, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Now look what he does. He quotes their poets. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Can you see that the way he preaches to these guys is not the same way he would preach to the Jewish people? Isn't it amazing? Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. 
Isn't it interesting how he transitions a conversation to the gospel? One of the skills we need to have as evangelistic people is how to transition a conversation. Where one moment you're talking about not being lazy and working hard. You're saying that to one of your subordinates at work. Next moment, you're preaching the gospel to them. It's a skill. It's a craft to have. Did you see that he wasn't offensive in how he spoke? I mean, when he was speaking at Athens, he didn't just say, you guys shouldn't be worshipping all these idols. What are you thinking of? Come on. You guys are smarter than this. How come you're worshipping a stone? He didn't insult them. He was so creative. He persevered. How did he do it? He used his creativity. Where he says, Chu, I see that you guys are so religious. You're so, so religious. It's almost like he's saying to them, well done, pat on the back. But I just want to show you, look, you've even got one of these stones. And it says, to a God who's unknown, an unknown God. Let me tell you about this unknown God, guys. Right? Brilliant. And it's an art. And it's an art. And the mistake some of us make is we just have one way of preaching the gospel. And we're like, yes, at least I obeyed Jesus and I don't feel guilty anymore. <clears throat> God gives us creative ways of doing it. So let's persevere. So my question to you is, have you lost your voice? Are you persevering in creatively communicating the gospel or have you lost your voice? In Acts chapter 18 verse 9, it says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, because we all need encouragement. And the Lord said to him, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I want to encourage you this morning. Do not be afraid, Sean. Do not be afraid, Sunera. Do not be afraid, Nyari. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. The enemy wants to silence you, Christelle. The enemy wants to silence you, Tankisho. The enemy wants to silence us. Do not be afraid. Amen. The ninth shift is a shift in motivation and character. It's a shift in motivation and character. Let's unpack this a little bit. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 16 to 17. Sometimes we forget that Daniel was a person of character. Daniel is one of the only people in scripture where there's nothing negative said about him. You don't hear of Daniel lying or backsliding or slipping into adultery or anything, right? He was a person of character. Often we focus on Daniel's gifting. But you know that when you want to truly proclaim, proclaim Christ in Johannesburg, people want to know you're a person we can trust. You're a person who's credible. You know, the word credible comes from a Latin word, credo, which literally means I trust in or I believe in. That's what that word means. Before you open your mouth, people want to see, is this a person who's sincere, right? Now watch this. It says, the wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. This is the king talking, right? Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. Have, have the kings of this world heard that about you? Hey, Malope, I hear that you're a good problem solver. I hear you've got this gift. Right? Just think about that. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself. 
It would be awesome if we had more people in this nation who did that, right? I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and he was just talking about the amount of corruption in this country, how blatant it is. He was talking about a particular business deal where the people would even put it in writing, some of the things that they wanted to do. We'll give you this, we'll give you that, etc. You know, there's no shame anymore around it. But I find this interesting. It says, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Isn't that so powerful? Isn't that so powerful? Someone of such character, you can't sway this individual. There's no fear of man in him. You can't buy him. He's outside the matrix. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have more people who are outside the matrix? Okay? You can't box them, right? Do you know that in, the, in about the 1700s, 1800s, in the United States, there were cases of elders. There was one particular elder in a particular church who was stepped down because they said, this person is greedy. Because the guy was profiteering. They felt that the markup that he had on his stuff and the amount of money he was making, they just felt like, now nah, this person is greedy. They stepped down this particular elder because of that. Okay? Isn't that amazing? Do you hear that nowadays? We don't hear of that. We don't, have you ever heard of someone just being stepped up down from church leadership because it was felt that this person struggles with greed? Right? So we see that Daniel had no selfish ambition. He couldn't be corrupted. There was no sense of entitlement. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 18 to 21, he says... Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. As we go through this, I just want you to see how Daniel recognizes that anyone who's in leadership, it's because God has allowed it. And it freed him from the fear of man. He was completely free. And for too many of us as Christians, we're intimidated by people. You know, you see people like they give a presentation somewhere, and the moment that CEO walks through the door, they freeze. Right? Now watch this, because I want you to be free from the fear of man. Straightened toward God, not bent toward man. Now watch this. It says, because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. Watch verse 20. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how powerful God is. All these politicians who are oppressing people, Tomorrow they can be gone. Now when we understand that God is sovereign, he's mighty, he's the one, the Bible says, he raises up one and puts down another. I've got a book called The Technology of Spiritual Promotion and I unpack that. God is the one who raises up one and puts down another. We've seen leaders, corporate leaders, overnight crumble, fall, lose their job. And there you were making so many career decisions 
based on that person. Where we say challenge them on A, B, C, D, and you're like, Paul, it'll be career limiting, career limiting. Today, that leader is no longer there. Okay? What I like about Daniel is he applied this principle to himself. There's no way that Daniel would say, oh, your dad got proud and arrogant and so God demoted him. If Daniel himself didn't walk like that, you could see Daniel was so careful to make sure he remained humble. Those are the people who, when they preach the gospel, they preach with power. There's weight there. The Bible is very clear and says God gives grace to the humble. May we never become proud. It doesn't matter what position God promotes you to. It doesn't matter how successful your business becomes. It doesn't matter how gifted or talented you are. It doesn't matter whether I get that Zim Achievers Award or not. Let's walk in a humility and a brokenness that recognizes that, you know what, if we're recognized for things, it's because of God's favor, right? It's really God's favor that will remind people to, you know, vote. There have even been some people who said, ah, we are, we, I saw that we were able to vote many times, so I voted many times for you, okay? It's all God's favor, amen. So it says that Nebuchadnezzar was stripped of his glory, stripped of his glory. It says he was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. People would find it difficult to remind a king's son about what happened to his dad, right? He lived with the wild donkeys. You'd actually think, are you dissing my dad? He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. You know, if something has happened to one of your parents and so on, I don't want to be the one to remind you of it. You know what I mean? But he wasn't intimidated. He wasn't intimidated. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Anyone he wishes. I don't care who's in power today. Tomorrow they can be gone because that's how mighty God is. Amen? Now, we have to be careful the types of prayers that we do pray. I've got, I've, there's a particular guy. He's actually a prophet in, uh, in Nigeria. You might have heard of him, um, Tunde Bakare. And it's interesting because uh, there's a book that was written about the Bakares. My, my mom is actually a Bakare. And it's interesting because there was a book written about the Bakaris because they started down here in South Africa. And you know when there were all those Zulu wars and so on, you know, Defekani and so, etc. and people moved up. They didn't just stop in Zim with Lobengula and the guys. They actually continued right up Africa. So there's a whole book where there's some Bakaris up in Egypt and so on. So I always find it interesting because he's such a powerful man of God. He's got the same surname as my mom. And I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm related to Tunde Bakare. All right. But uh, people like him, at one stage, I don't know if he was put in prison because he's, he's quite vocal about the politics and that kind of thing in his nation and will prophesy certain things and they end up happening. You know, when, when leaders are messing around, you'll just hear these prophetic words from some of these prophets saying, you won't last, you know, type of thing, and the person doesn't last and so on. Anyway, so he's one of those guys. Just wanted to, throw, to name drop a little bit, you know. Um, but, but what is so powerful here is the statement, the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Daniel knew who was really in charge. And because he knew who was really in charge, he was not afraid of people. 
and his character was kept intact. Can you see the power of that? He knew who was in charge. In Daniel 5, 22 to 23, he says, But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. So he's basically rebuking the king. It takes character to be able to say the same word, regardless of who you're speaking to, to not be intimidated by people. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all his ways. God holds everything together. If our message that we proclaim is going to be mighty, weighty, full of authority, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot fear man and we need to know God's position. Integrity is moral uprightness, it's honesty, it's wholeness, it's soundness, it's principle, it's incorruptibility, it's trustworthiness. The word integrity comes from that word integer, which means whole. Remember when you did maths? A whole number. You cannot compartmentalize your integrity. What do I mean by that? I can compartmentalize honesty. So I, someone can say, I am dishonest with my wife, but I'm honest with my clients. You cannot compartmentalize integrity. You cannot say, I'm a CEO of integrity. That's why I never lie to my customers. Meanwhile, you're busy cheating on your wife. Integrity is to do with who am I when no one is watching? What's, what's my core being? The opposite of it is guile. You know when someone is insincere, when someone is duplicitous, when someone lives a double life, one of the sad things is we're seeing that in churches a lot, where people are literally living double lives. They're one way at church, there's someone else elsewhere, right? That's what we call duplicity. I like the way in John chapter 1, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael approaching and he said of him, here's a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. In other words, nothing false, no schism within this person. There are four dimensions of character that I want to unpack with you because this is so crucial when it comes to being people who proclaim Christ. The first one is self-discipline. To be a true person of character, it requires self-discipline. Self-discipline is the ability to do what's right even if you don't feel like it. That's what self-discipline is. It's doing what you've pre-decided is best for you to do. You continue doing that particular thing even when you don't feel like it. Regardless of your emotional state, you do it. Number two, core values. People of character are people of core values. What do we mean by core values? You've got a code for everything that you do. You've got a code, if you're a guy, this is how I relate to people of the opposite sex. If you're a girl, this is how I relate to people of the opposite sex. It's a code you live by. 
It's a core value. These are the people I do business with and these are my non-negotiables. If this person doesn't fit this, then I won't do business with them. You've got core values that manifest in your marriage, how you relate to your spouse. They manifest in how you do business. They manifest in how you talk to people, how you carry yourself, how you deal with your extended family. Okay? So when we're talking about character, we're talking about self-discipline. We're also talking about core values. Then number three, we're talking about a sense of identity. This is a realistic self-image based on who you are in Christ. Right? That's your identity. Have you noticed something in scripture? We tend to do things because of our self-concept. If, if I believe I'm a cow, when you go and eat the nice vintage tower treats that they're going to give us afterwards, that I'm sure you're looking forward to, I'm going to go and look for grass to eat. Because you always live out your self-concept. That's why when there was sex sexual immorality, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he addressed it, he didn't just address it from a behavioral perspective. He didn't just say, naughty, 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 stop doing this and stop doing that. What did he do? He challenged their identity. He said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He spoke to them about their identity. If I know that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, there's certain things I'll do with my body, there's certain things I won't do with my body. Amen? All right? So your identity is crucial. When someone has got low self-image, an inferiority complex, they end up doing all sorts of things they would ordinarily not have done because of how they see themselves. Why did you do that? I was afraid of losing him. Why did you compromise in this particular area? I was afraid of what he would think of me. Can you see, in terms of that person's self-image, their gaps. And those gaps affect their morality. Your theology and your self-concept will always affect your morality. Okay? Then the fourth dimension of character is emotional security. Emotional security. This is the capacity to be emotionally stable and consistent. Emotionally stable and consistent. Have you noticed that there are many people who are like generally fine until you push that button? We know that there are many people who are generally okay until you throw some curveball into their lives. Okay? So when you're now describing the person, people say, what do you think of that person as a Christian, as a believer? They're really fine, but I just wish they were more consistent. They don't seem to be emotionally stable. Emotional instability will cause you to sin. A lot of people who are addicted, substance abuse, it's because of emotional instability in their lives. And friends, all these things I'm mentioning, these four dimensions of character, they will affect the weight and the authority you have when you proclaim Christ. If people have just seen you yesterday losing it with people, right? Because you lose it over small things, tiny things. It affects the weight you carry when you proclaim Christ. One of the things that gives you authority as a leader, I'm not talking about authority that's from people, I'm talking about authority from God. One of the things that gives you authority as a leader is being able to remain calm under pressure. Emotional stability. It's part of emotional intelligence. From time to time, I'll have people in some of my workshops and you hear them saying, do you know what I appreciate about our leader? I love the way she's so calm 
when we are all stressing. One of the things that establishes you as an effective leader who has a voice to proclaim Christ in people's lives is being able to remain calm under pressure. Amen. You know, one of the things about integrity and character, some research was carried out years ago, in the 80s, around that time, for many, many years, was carried out, and they found that this is the first thing people look for in leaders. People were asked the question, what do you look for from someone who you're going to follow? And guess what they said? Top thing. It was words like honesty, integrity, I can trust you, authentic. It was those words. Because before people hear you cast vision, before people hear you do fancy things and see, see you do fancy things and see how gifted you, you are, they want to know you're not a bootleg. You're not fake. Let's be people of integrity. Amen. Shift number 10. There's a shift in anointing. How do you know God has anointed you in a particular area? The stuff comes easily. The stuff comes easily. Okay? It's natural. You can see Christelle over there. You can see she's anointed in terms of worship leading. You can see the moment she gets up. You know, you can be talking to Christelle and sometimes you're chatting to her and you can see she feels that there's a shy side to her at times even though she's a strong character or you can see she's, you know. But the moment she gets up and she's down leading worship, you can see it's like, it's like a fish swimming, isn't it? She's comfortable dancing away there, etc. How do you know God has anointed you for a particular thing? There's an ease to it. There's a grace. You're not trying to force things. Amen? And what happens is, if we want to proclaim Christ, let's proclaim him in our space of anointing. Let's ride on that thing that he's anointed us for. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 to 23, and then verse 27 to 28, we see how Daniel was anointed. It says, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. How I many of you want mysteries revealed to you? It requires an anointing. But then Daniel praised the God of heaven. So he's praising God. And I won't go into that. I won't read that. But look at verse 27. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I believe that God is taking us to a place where we are so strong in the prophetic anointing that people would rather come to the church than go to these diviners and fortune tellers. And the reason why people are still running to the counterfeit is because they haven't seen the full manifestation of the prophetic gift in the church. Amen? One of the things about the anointing is that it will draw people. It will draw people. People want to experience the supernatural. People want to see that, you know what, this isn't just your intellect functioning here. There's something on you that's at another level. I was actually very blessed recently. I was in one of the main banks and I was sitting with a person coaching them. And this particular lady is Hindu. It's from a Hindu background. And at a certain point, she said, I know that, I know that you're not just an ordinary coach. I know that you operate, there's some higher power functioning through you. I was very blessed that she said that, that she recognized that it wasn't natural wisdom functioning. Because what would happen by pattern in our sessions, she said to me, you know what, Paul, I've, I've asked my other colleague to join 
these coaching sessions with you. I told her because of this particular thing that's on you. Because every single time that you coach me, it's as if you know, you've read my mail, you know what's going on in my life and it's spot on. Sometimes I'll be in a coaching situation and people will actually say to me, has someone been talking to you? Who's told you this? To a point where in some of my power talks, I literally have to say to people, guys, if I say something to you, right? If I say something to you that is confidential, please, what happens with me is stuff just comes. So no one has spoken to me. And sometimes I don't like it when people have said too much to me. Because then people might think, oh, you're saying this because of what so-and-so told you. Does that make sense? I remember one time with a Muslim guy. You know, not just an ordinary Muslim guy. A guy who knew the Quran off by heart. I was coaching him in a particular bank, sitting down in the session. It was about a 40-minute session or so. The Lord started showing me things about this guy. And he said, how do you know all of this about me? I'm just blown away. I'm blown away. I've only known you for 40 minutes and this is what you're saying. Right? Now think of those moments, because I'm sure every single person here in this room, you've had those moments with people. Ride on that. Trust in God. Lean on, not on your own understanding, but on that mantle, that anointing. And the Lord will show you things about people and you will be able to minister deeply to them. Amen. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And he literally told the king what his dream was and then gave the interpretation. That's another level. He wasn't just giving the interpretation. He says, this is what you dreamt about and this is the interpretation. May God use us in that particular way. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Amen? Let's function prophetically so that people don't have to keep running to fortune tellers and dodgy people out there. Amen. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 17, I love this. I love this. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. This is such a powerful statement. Because the revelation and understanding the Lord wants to give us as we proclaim Christ, it's not revelation limited to so-called spiritual things. Nyari, God can give you understanding of the legal arena. This was Babylon, people. This was Babylon. They had all sorts of dodgy theories that were not biblical. But Daniel and his friends were given supernatural understanding of those things. I don't know what you are studying. God is interested in what you are studying. He might not believe in all of it, but if you've got understanding of it, you'll be able to pull out the gaps, cracks, and leakages. And now when you end up speaking to people in your industry, you proclaim Christ with authority. Because people aren't just thinking, ah, this guy just wants to preach to us at work. They're seeing that this guy seems to have an understanding of economics, an understanding of banking, an understanding of IT, an understanding of wellness and health, an understanding of finance, right? Way better than the average Joe. Are you trusting God for that? What I like about this is it shows me that you can be both prophetic and intellectual. 
Some people think that to be prophetic, it means you must also be pathetic. You know what I'm talking about. You can be prophetic and intellectual. And that's why people are confused by us sometimes. Because they're like, huh? But you guys, you're strongly intellectual in these contexts. But then there you are. Shandai, Shandai, driving my Hyundai until I die. And things are happening in your meetings. You can carry both. Amen? There's an anointing to transform society. Daniel was anointed to understand the language and the literature of Babylon. You know, someone said to me some time back in one of my workshops, Paul, I just want to find out. I've got a question, and I was surprised by the person's question. How do you marry Christianity with work? Because work is practical. So how do you marry your Christianity? Because as you're a pastor, but you're teaching us all these things in these workshops. How do you marry your Christianity with all of these things? Because at work, work is so practical. So the assumption that this person was making is that Christianity is theoretical and not practical. So I explained to her that you cannot separate the sacred from the secular. God applies to all of life. Amen. God applies to all of life. The 11th shift that we need to make, there's a shift in favor. There's a shift in favor. I preached a message at the start of this year, the technology of favor. I would encourage you to get hold of that message. There are doors within doors. God wants to open doors for you. And sometimes for some of you, a door is already opened up. But I'm telling you right now, there are doors within those doors. That's how his favor operates. You see, if you go and you want to watch something at the theater, very often the first door you walk through in that building is not the last door you're going to walk through. Because if you walk through that first door, you just remain in the foyer. What can you get there? You don't get the show. Maybe the ticket sales, maybe the, I was going to call them laboratories, but I think that's an old word, isn't it? The lav. Okay. That's from like the 60s or something. I don't know where I got that word. The, the restrooms, okay? Or maybe the teas and the coffee, right? But if you want to experience the benefit of the theater, the drama, the movie, whatever it is, you need to walk through the next doors. So Anyari, I'm telling you right now, you've got that job. It's a great organization. That's your first degree of favor. I'm telling you right now, when, because you're working for that organization, there are doors within that door. There are doors for you within that door. And the mistake a lot of people make is they have a breakthrough that they're longing for, and they're grateful to God, so they're like, hey. okay? You buy that franchise, and you're like, hey. God wants us to be people with clout. I remember with you, Tankisho, you experienced it, isn't it? You experienced it when we're in a situation she's trying to remember. I'll remind you. I remember her experiencing a breakthrough where she sowed a significant amount uh, financially and she was believing God for such breakthrough in her life. And I remember she was in a situation where she received a promotion. Then shortly afterwards, I remember prophesying over you and I just said, you know what? 
There are multiple levels of promotion that you're going to experience. Around all that time, I might be getting the, the, the order wrong. But I remember she then got a new job, new organization, got into a place where she was now leading a particular team of people, right? She wasn't just in a situation where she was a specialist. She now had people reporting to her. There were doors within doors. Amen. Okay. Let's believe God for that in our lives. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 9, it says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. All the things that Daniel was doing, it wasn't just because he was a person of character. He was a person who was walking in divine favor. It's not natural to have kings come and just say, hey, if you interpret this dream, you'll be third in command. I'm talking about a quantum leap in promotion. In my message, I think it was the message on technology of favor. I shared an example of a particular lady who I was coach, coaching in a particular bank uh, she was probably at senior manager level, right? Uh, but she was in a situation where she basically wanted a promotion. She said to me, Paul, you know what? This, there's this opportunity, but they've now given it to one of my colleagues. And she said to me, but my colleague is one of those people where I don't think I can learn anything from him. He doesn't pitch up for certain meetings. I have to explain to him that this is what we covered in the meeting. So this colleague of hers and some of the things she felt were racial that were taking place, this colleague of hers then gets the job. She didn't feel she could end up reporting to this person, so she moves, lateral move to another area in the particular bank, right? Remained like that for a few months. But before she made that lateral move, I said, keep your heart right. She was a Christian, strong Christian. And I prophesied over and I made a decree. And I said, you know what I'm seeing over you? I'm seeing multiple promotion. You're going to skip levels, but keep your heart pure and right. But I see you skipping levels. While she moved across naturally, she then has the CEO of the particular bank in that, in that group go to her and say, can we have tea? And basically, this CEO offers her a CEO position in that particular banking group. She quantum leaped, leaped, and I'm telling you, this is just within a matter of months. This is not like uh, after a few years or whatever. This is within a matter of months. And she's now CEO of that division. It's, it's favor. And one of the things about this lady is she had a heart for the poor. She just loves doing stuff for the poor and the marginalized. That's favor. But what did it take? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that if you believe in my prophets, what will happen? You will prosper. Are you mixing the word? Not just the written word in scripture, but the preceding word, that prophetic word, that decree. Are you mixing it with faith? That's where breakthroughs happen. I've seen it happen with people in our church. I can tell you story after story after story. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Favor goes with compassion. How many of you have experienced recently someone just loving you to bits and liking you, but you can't explain it? You can't explain it. Nyari was telling me earlier on that it's amazing. You know, she's there, she's doing her articles at this particular firm and so on, her legal articles, etc., and she says, people are just talking to me like I'm their friend and stuff. 
those of you know what happens at a lot of law firms, people treat you like a skivvy. They treat you like a little pawn, like go do this, go do that. And you think like, I'm so proud of my law degree, all that stuff I studied for years, and now I'm just doing admin, right? That's favor. I find it interesting when God's favor is on your life, he will cause certain people to show you compassion. See, often when we think of favor, we just think, ah, I was promoted. Ah, I was given a freebie. But it's also to do with compassion. Amazing. Who has been compassionate towards you lately? Can you see God in this? God can cause people in authority to show you favor. You will get business from people who in the natural would not ordinarily like you, Christelle. You will get business from those people. People you had written off. You know what, what, what we tend to do in business? We reject ourselves before we can be rejected. So we suss out people and we're like, mm, 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 I don't think they'll like me. You go, you go, you go. And then we lose out an opportunity because we didn't have that discernment that no, God's favor is upon you. And he will cause those people who in the natural would not ordinarily like you, all of a sudden they're like, I want to work with you and just you. That's what will happen with you. And you'll see such diversity in the work that you do. And you're like, but I would ordinarily clash with this person. But this person doesn't like people like me. But they're insisting, I want to just work with you. Amen? Favor is coming your way. I've experienced it where I've experienced favor with a particular person uh, who would literally keep saying, I want to work with Paul, I want to work with Paul, I want to work with Paul. At one stage, at the start of the process, I was refusing. I was saying, will it be okay with these people and this people and this people? The people insisted, uh, we want to work with you. That company has already made its money. We, we want, it's almost like we want to make you wealthy, Paul. I'm like thinking, but... Paul, we know you're a person of integrity, it's fine, and so on, and you're concerned that if you start doing some work with us, what will those people say? But we want to work with you. And guess what? This person, in terms of lifestyle, they, they had, they, they've got a particular lifestyle, I won't go in detail for, for various reasons, right, that I'm completely against. And secondly, the person is also an atheist. But they were insisting, I want to work with you. They know I'm a pastor. That's favor. I like what Bill Johnson said in an article I read. He says, every believer receives this favor from God, but we don't all recognize the additional dimensions of the charis. That's that word translated favor, the grace that we receive. God's grace is also his operational power, the force of his nature. He gives us this grace to empower us to become like Christ. The issue, this is so powerful, the issue of growing in favor is an issue of stewardship. The real question is, what have I done with the favor God has given to me? God has bestowed favor upon us, but if we're always complaining, saying, oh, but what about them? What about them? We short circuit that favor is already given us. And sometimes it actually lifts off us. But there's something about divine favor where you just have license to preach the gospel. And you can get away with it. There's some people who try to preach the gospel, try to proclaim the gospel, and people look at them funny. But when you do it, it's fine. 
And I'm tired of this thing where people can talk about the universe and all these things and give praise and glory to the universe. And then the moment we try and say something about Jesus or talk about church, are oh, you Bible bashing? Are oh, you Bible bashing? And I'm saying you guys are bashing us with your dodgy stuff. Because the fact of the matter is that nothing is value neutral. So when people say all sorts of things, even on TV, none of it is value neutral. Right? My wife this morning is preaching on a biblical view of arts, of the media, and of sport. Please access it. Very powerful message. I read through the notes last night for, out of curiosity. But what is, what is interesting for me is often we watch TV programs and we allow them to entertain us, but we would never allow those people to set foot in our house. But through the media, we let it in. All under the name of entertainment. Entertain us. Ah, no, it's just a movie, right? Anyway, don't get me down that path, right? God has given us favor. Let's walk in it. Finally, the 12th shift. There's a shift in competence. There's a shift in competence. If we want to influence people, we need to be good at what we do. And I know I I've touched on this before, but I want to keep reinforcing it. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 20, it says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. In what areas can you say you are better than the rest of this nation? In terms of your class performance, those of you who've had to study recently, in terms of what you do, maybe it's a message you carry and you speak. Maybe it's a business you've started. Sean, I know Sean is 10 times better, you know, even as a manager in the bank that he works for. I know he's 10 times better because I know Sean, all right? God has called us to be 10 times better. And it's not 10 times better in the stuff we like to do. Look what it says. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him. So the stuff that is relevant to the world, the stuff that they're interested in, where they need answers, are you 10 times better? When your boss comes and asks you, hey, Wimby, Vim, whatever they call Pastor Vim at work, all right? I don't want to say too much because of confidentiality and that kind of thing. But I know that at her workplace, she's the go-to person for lots of things. Things that are above her pay grade. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? Things where people should be going to senior, certain, certain senior people, senior to her. They go to her because they know she'll give them the answers. Amen? My question is, are you 10 times better? I didn't say five times better. I didn't say two times better. I know that when I go in and I do the things that I do as, a, as an executive coach, people are like, Paul, we've, we've had many of these before. We've had many. But you, ah, Paul, we've had many. And you know what that does? It opens a door for me to proclaim Christ. You see, because if, if you have favor in your area of profession, like that, and you're good at what you do. When you say Baba Black Sheep, people will listen. When you, when you say to them, hey, here's the solution, people will listen. 
People will say, where, where you, where's your church? I want to come. Oh, Malope, you're a case, aren't you? <laughs> you're a case. When I was doing work at the Reserve Bank, I coached Malope. That's one, and the process and so on, her needs were met. Don't know what happened. Maybe you'll share the testimony at some point. But since then, she recommitted her life to the Lord or gave her life to the Lord. And for how, many, how long has it been? A couple of years now, eh? A year and a couple of months. Phew, I feel like I've known you for ages. Phew, okay. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to use these situations to open doors for the gospel. And one of the things I want to do is I don't, I don't like to be ashamed of the gospel. So I will first come in with my stuff, and then at a certain point, I'll mention to people I'm a pastor. You know what I mean? I want them to see that pastors can also be clued up. Amen? And, and when they see the revelation, I want them to know where it's coming from. I don't want them to think like I'm just one of those new age guys who's trying to do his thing. Amen? I, wanna, I want them to know the source of the supernatural wisdom. We must proclaim Christ and not be ashamed of the gospel. So if God could do this with Daniel in the Old Testament, what can he do with you? Who's born again, who has the spirit of Jesus alive and active in him or in her? Are you ready for the questions that kings might ask you? What questions are on their hearts right now? The kings in your industry. Daniel's competence and gifting resulted in the kings praising God. You found Nebuchadnezzar basically saying, oh guys, you know what? We need to worship this living God that Daniel serves. He's the true God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And we thank you, Lord, that you're calling us to proclaim you in all these dimensions. Lord, we open our hearts so that we might be used by you to proclaim Christ. I pray for an activation right now of the favor of God over the people of God. I pray right now for an activation, almighty God, that we would walk in the anointing, that we would walk in competence, that we would walk at new levels of perseverance, makrotumos, that long distance suffering, that we would have a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset. I pray God that this word that I've preached will be mixed with faith. Mixed with faith. And we will experience the fruit thereof. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen and Amen. God bless you all. Uh, thanks so much for coming. Please just enjoy the treats afterwards. Have a relaxed time. Get to know each other. Talk to people you haven't spoken to in the past, amen, and we'll see you, um, we'll see you at Josie Fridays, Josie Friday, amen, on Friday. <laughs>